You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Today, we're going to talk about the ever-present topic of risk. If if you're going to run a business, risks are going to come and go. And the big challenge as a leader is how do you manage those risks, both for the good of the company and for your own health and well-being to stay ahead of everything. My guest is a gentleman named Stephen Lasnick. He's got a lot of experience in that area. He is a um, a multi-time entrepreneur. And uh, we're going to get him to enlighten us and open this discussion. So, Stephen, welcome to the show, man. Uh, It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. As is a bit of a custom on our show now, uh, give us a little bit of your background and and kind of the journey you've taken to get to where you are today. Sure. Well, I'm 58 years old, and over the last 30 years, I've built seven companies in the $5 million to $25 million range. Um, in, uh, two of those companies have made, made the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. Um, I still own three of those companies right now. Um, I'm actively involved in two of them. And the third one, uh, it's, it's being run by somebody else that we have. And, um, so they're two, you know, uh, one, both of those, two of those companies are $25 million companies each. And then the other one is just a, a commercial real estate business. So I've had a variety of different businesses. I've, they've all been different in essence. So I've been in the digital printing world. I've been in the um, temp high, very high end temporary staffing world. I've been in the financing world, the real estate world um, and the software as a service world. And uh, so my expertise has always been in running businesses. I really don't care what type of business it is. In essence, I, I usually like B two B type of business. Um, and lastly, uh, so for those of you who are are wondering, so the I wouldn't exactly say I've never had a failure in a business. They've they've had I've had businesses that have run their course. And we, you know, we can kind of get into that as we talk a little bit more today about risk. Yeah. Just curious, had had you done anything in the corporate world prior to doing all this or were you kind of a natural yes. entrepreneur? Yeah. So I worked for Xerox for eight years when I first started. Um, at the age of 17, I always thought that I would work, I would have my own company uh, eventually. And I thought I'll work for a big company and then go work. Uh, then I have my own company. Uh, I loved working for Xerox. It was, you know, for those of you who are younger, Xerox was the Google of its day. It had really incredible people working there. I loved my job. I was promoted five times in eight years. I was one of the top sales reps in the country for for Xerox. Um, But at the age of 30, um, uh, I was ready to move into management and there was a recession going on and a lot of the uh, older people who were potentially going to get laid off were getting the jobs that I wanted. It was a time for me to make a decision about going into my own business at the time. 
And uh, my wife and I, well, we were getting married and we decided that was the right time for me to start my own business. So I actually worked for Xerox for one year, for my last year without them knowing it while I started my other company. So I worked from seven in the morning till one for Xerox and then from one till nine at night at my other company, the other company (laughs) I started. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, back in the day we called that moonlighting, but uh, yep. I don't, I don't think uh, people talk about it. They talk well, about people, side hustle people, now. Well, side hustle, but you know, honestly, a lot of people don't want to put that type of time in. You know, right. they just they really don't. You know, so right, right, that's so true. Well, let's uh, let's lean into the key focus area that I teased out at the start. This idea of managing risk. There are many, many different kinds of risk that businesses face, and and the owners who run them. Tell us a little bit about your experience, or or, or your for all those companies. What have you learned about the presence of and the challenge in managing risk? Well, I mean, there, there's a lot to it. And I, I think it's been one of the reasons why I've been able to be my own business owner for 30 years is because I've been able to manage risks really, really well. The, the first thing is what I've noticed with myself, and I know lots of other business owners. And, you know, and what I notice about myself is that I will take time out of my business on a weekly basis to think strategically, to plan, to get a, a, to have a clear understanding of how we're doing as a company. And a, a lot of business owners are so busy working in their business that they don't work on, a, on their strategic plan. They don't work on their knowing their numbers. They don't work on, you know, being able to step away and look on the business instead of, you know, kind of going, 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 going. So, you know, I always did a really good job of having a pulse of what was going on in the industry, uh, how we were doing, and, um, and, 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 and not making a huge gamble uh, without really trying something out. So, uh, I, you know, it's it, like, so I think it's really important for you to do that where, you know, you don't go from zero to 100 so quickly in a business that you, you take these baby steps and that's managing risk. You know, you don't put, you know, all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Um, you, you manage risk. You see the, the most important thing about a business is, is, um, First thing in order to build it, you, you got to get sales, right? In order to get sales, you then you have to know how to acquire clients inexpensively. Um, if you can't do that, you really do not, you can't learn because you, there's just so much reading. There's just so much observations you can make and you can't really get into a business unless you are working with clients, you see what they're asking, you get to see what competition you're up against. And so it, you know, so my expertise has always been marketing, lead generation, getting clients to come to my companies. Uh, Also, just so we were clear, two of the five companies I started, I had a business part, I have a business partner with the two 
two of the three I own right now, I have a great business partner. The other businesses I, I have had no business partner. So in this particular case, uh, what I'm talking about is my expertise has been, how do we figure out if the idea of the business that I'm running is, uh, is, 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 is uh, going to get clients? And that's the number one thing that I've always been really, really good at. You know, even if it meant putting up a fake website, I mean, like a website with a product that we do not have yet, right? And trying to get clients to talk to us about a future service or product that we have coming out. You know, that that's something my business partner uh, also ha has done in the past. He's the one who really kind of is used to me. But, you know, you, most people think, oh, it's the product and service, which is the most important. So you go out and you spend right. all this time on a product. You spend all this time on, on potentially delivering, a, a, having a service, and you don't spend any time on acquiring clients. And with small businesses, a lot of times it's the owner knocking on doors. You know, I don't even know if we do that anymore, but, uh, you know, but I'm just using that, uh, you know, right. loosely. Right. And so, God, well, I, I agree with you. And uh, I have told this story on this show in the past that one of the experiences I had at the at the turn of the century, if you will, that um, there was a I was working in the mortgage finance world and there was a phenomenon that kind of hit the street and everybody seemed to get pretty energized about it. And that was the idea of outsourcing back office function for mortgage lenders. And because um, that was for each individual mortgage company, that was a heavy overhead. And so it was a it was a CapEx kind of a decision on how, build, how big you build that back office team, but volume came and went. It, it, it rose and fall based on what interest rates are doing and other things going on in the market. So if you invested large in that back office and then your volume went down, you're sitting there burning cash, paying for those people. So anyway, the phenomenon that kind of caught wind because it was it was brilliant on paper <laughs> was to have a service company third party that could do all that back office work so the mortgage company didn't care you know what their volume was well they did care what their volume was but they weren't burning cash if it was low they could basically pay a per loan fee to the service company. So anyway, I got on that train and became the creator of one of those service companies. And there were about six of us that emerged across the whole U.S. market. And we got some big, I'll call it institutional money to back the play. And Because again, on paper, this was gold. Everybody believed it. Everybody thought it was the right thing to do. But guess what? When you really put it on the ground and got it going, those mortgage companies didn't want to give up that part of the food chain. They were unwilling because there was a lot of success baked into how efficient and effective that back office function ran. And despite how good we were able to deliver on the service, and we were, and my competition was good. I mean, you know, they, they were effective at what we were able to deliver. But emotionally, the business owners that were our customers couldn't buy it. They tried it. 
but they got really unsettled. And so the long story short, of course, we're rocking along into 2008 trying to make this thing go. And, and what happened in 2008? Mortgage yeah, finance mortgage was, finance. and yeah. banking was at ground zero of the crash. And uh, all of us, the six that had worked in that space, went under during that time. We, you know, it was it was one of those learning experiences for all of us. But my point is, there's a great idea that looked beautiful on paper. I mean, the margins were silly. You know, it, it was just, and and the benefits that we could. And in time, we actually proved the benefit of what we were doing. We accelerated delivery times and we improved liquidity two and three X for our client companies. And all those things that you would look at were working, but there was an emotional factor. Our, our clients at large could not get past. And, uh, you know, how do you, how do you mitigate that risk? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, um, you know, and I, I had an exact, a, a very similar circumstance. And so when I look, when I look back at every single business I've had, there's, there wasn't a time when I wasn't managing risk, right? That's, it's really, it's funny. So just last week, I filled in for a professor at uh, Stevens Institute of Technology, which is a uh, engineering college, technology college in New Jersey. And I filled in for, um, I do it every semester um, an, for an entrepreneurship class. And the conversation was about managing risk. So exactly what we're talking about today. Um, so like, and I'll give you like just three examples to try to make them short of where, you know, I didn't put all my eggs in the basket, so to speak, right? So the very first company I started, the equipment that I ne needed to do the digital printing cost $2 million. This is 30 years ago. And I said, I never let money ever stop me from moving forward with an idea. I, you know, I always thought if I could test the idea, which that was the key part, I will find the money. And again, 30 years ago, angel funding wasn't known. Okay. So none of my companies have ever been angel funded. They've always been self-funded or reinvestment and cash flow. And so the first company was um, $2 million, the equipment costs. I didn't not only did I not have the $2 million, but I didn't want to spend it because I didn't know if the if the digital printing idea um, was going to work. So I went out, I found people who had the equipment already, and I just outsourced the work to them. And I did that for two years until I saw the cash flow. By the way, I still made hundred grand every year doing that profit for myself. Whereas you normally just everybody should know it takes at least three to five years for a business owner to stop make start making money in a business. So be ready for that. Anyway, so I was able to be in the industry, understand what was going on, the problems and the any and if there was if it was gonna be a good idea. And what I learned was nobody was making money at that business. They were doing bait and switch. So you would get them in for this one type of printing project, but you would then do other printing jobs for them. So that, you know, I got out of that. Um, I, I actually sold the business, believe it or not, for a small amount of money. Another thing, I had something very similar to, to, to what you, your situation was, and that was um, I came up with this. My, this is my best idea that I ever came up with for a business. I, um, I saw a problem, which is a great way to start a business. 
I saw a problem that wasn't being solved, which was uh, uh, in storing employee credentials. So think of nurses or doctors. They have 20 different types of credentials that expire at different intervals, licenses, certifications, immunizations, background checks, those type of things, CEU credits. And I and I and when I looked into it, I found that there wasn't that the way that people were keeping that information updated at hospitals and long-term care facilities was through an Excel spreadsheet. It was a nightmare. And so I, I was like, wow, we need to create software to solve this. You know, now that was going to be super expensive to create the software. And um, luckily I found a friend whose software did something very similar. And I, I, uh, he just made a few, like this, we're talking about a million dollars in development costs for software. He didn't charge me anything. He char All I did was give him 25% of what we made. And I, within a month, I was at, I was at market. And, and what I learned, and everyone's going to be a little scared of this, uh, that the hospitals or long-term care facilities didn't care if their employees had um, expired credentials. <laughs> it was amazing to me. And um, so I, that was a good business in that um, it still generated me money for, for about 10 years, not a lot of money. But what I found, I, I never did go out and build my own software because the market wasn't there. And I would have spent a million dollars and lost my shirt. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't have a business. And there's there's all these other examples. I'm not going to say them now. Of times when when you 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 really need to be in the business doing it to learn. And this is the important part: you are going to pivot a lot of times when you find out that what you thought was going to work didn't isn't working, but you learn something else that did work that customers wanted and you pivoted toward that area so the current company i have right now financing solutions which we provide lines of credit to small businesses throughout the united states um that was a, a pivot um we have eventually got into the business of providing cash advances or loans and and we kind of found that what the clients really wanted was a a, a marker so to speak of cash that they could get to if they needed it. And it solved some other problems for me in regards to lead generation as well. So, um, and it also got us away from competition too, who struggled in, that, in, in providing lines of credit. So um, yeah, those are just a few examples of where you need to really manage risk. And, you know, there's been almost no times in my history where I've put a chunk of money down and just uh, said, well, I'm going to go all out at this. So uh, what comes to my mind as you describe all that, number one, I think the takeaway is for those of you listening that might be aspiring entrepreneurs and, and you've got this idea and, and, you know, the spectrum is wide of what those ideas may be. The point here, I think Steve and I are talking about is be careful on getting so locked in on the one thing you think your idea is going to be about because the market could tell you 
in a sense, they're going to say close, but no cigar. You know, you've, you've, you're near what I need, but you're not exactly what I need. So, and I like your word pivot. If, if you as the founder owner are unwilling to make that slight adjustment or that pivot to go a slightly different direction with your idea, in the big picture, it's still fundamentally your idea, but now you've got intelligence from the market that is telling you exactly what they want and need. And if you're unwilling to take that in, make that pivot, or even more critical, if you're unable to figure that out, if you're unable to figure out how to listen, find the market you want and listen to it, then then that's going to be a struggle. Your business will be struggling. Yeah, and I, I also just want to be careful here that we that we don't scare people about going into business. You know, we're talking about managing risk. We're talking about not taking risk. Okay, right. we're you go for it, go for it. Just you know, be smart about it. You know, don't be so gun ho on your idea uh, that you kind of say, "Oh, uh, this is definitely going to work." And I think that's exactly what you're saying as well. Right. Right. Well, and I like the other thing that you touched on at the start. You you said even in the in the mix of uh, all things going on around you, you made yourself take time in the you know in the middle of the week or in, in the middle of the, the the business itself to step away, take a look at your plan, take a look at your forecast. You know, look at and reflect upon where you stood and where you wanted to go. And I agree with you totally. So many business owners get so busy in the business, in the weeds every day, that they never look ahead. They never even create a forecast of any kind or a, a plan or a budget of any kind. They're just busy on the business. And they assume that if the bank account is growing, then I'm on target. I'm, I'm, I'm moving ahead. And you know, the, the reality is you might be leaving a lot of money on the table because you could have had even bigger opportunity had you just been a little more strategic in how you deployed your resources, spent your money doing things to grow the business. And again, a lot of that driven by market intelligence, the market telling you it's time to zig or zag on your your service offering. And if you miss that window, you know, it, it may be a while before another opportunity like that comes around. Yeah, I mean, I the the one thing about my business is that I've never been like in love with them. Like I'm not so I'm not so enamored with my business that I think it's, you know, that I, I'm in love with it. And what I mean by that is. I am working on a business and, and I can be objective about my businesses because it comes down to dollars and cents. You know, yes, of course, do I want to have an incredible execute, well-executed business? Of course I do. But I've never had a business where I say, I'm just so passionate and in love with what I do. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I'm saying the benefit of being a little bit farther removed from your business is that, is that you can look at it more objectively. So I'll give you an example. The second business I had was a very successful business financially. 
But I, it, I knew I was catching a wave. And I knew that that wave was going to end at, a, at this period. Okay. And it came after 9-11. So I had this really successful business financially that, um, and that, and I'll tell you, I was, I was making a million dollars a year. It was my second business and I had it for, uh, about nine years, but I knew once, um, there were three things that were happening. It wasn't 9-11. Yes, it was 9-11. It was, it was had to do with the year 2000 bug, which for those of you who were younger, it was about two-digit codes versus four-digit codes. It, it had to do with something called enterprise resource planning software being installed in, at corporations, which were like $50 million installations or more, $200 million installations. It's just really ridiculous. And the third, and, um, the third thing was that work wasn't going overseas yet in programming. And I knew that at some point, if I couldn't pivot the business, it wasn't going to survive. Um, it, it would have, but not at not the way I wanted it. It didn't have enough scale. I had to work in it too much. Um, and and then what happened was nine eleven came. ERP kind of stopped being done. Year two thousand bug was was solved, and work went overseas. And um, and I. I ran that company for, uh, I had someone run it for me for a couple of years, and then I moved on to something else. And so the, the idea I'm trying to say to you is everybody I know who's had a business, it doesn't last forever. It, you know, you yes, you could have an exit strategy where it's sold, right? But there's a lot of friends I know whose course, whose businesses did well, but it ran its course. Um, there, it's just don't think that your business is going to be there forever, and you got to take that into account. What could come into my marketplace that could cannibalize what I'm doing? Right. And I, right. I knew that with a second business, um, I was like, this one's going to end. Well, and, and and I want to reinforce something else you said. We don't want to scare anybody off from starting a business. All we're saying is you need to be aware of the various forms of risk that might come at you. And and the other thing is you were describing that, Stephen, the, the other thing that came to my mind is the idea that if you are an aspiring entrepreneur and you've got an idea, there's absolutely nothing wrong with building that business up to a certain point and call it a lifestyle business for you. Yes. If 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 you get your business cranking, let I'm gonna pick a number just randomly, three hundred thousand dollar net take home for you every year, and that affords you and your family all the amenities and lifestyle you want. You don't have to have the pressure of 2Xing or 3Xing that business. It's not an automatic that you need to go press to do that. But what we are saying that if, if you've got that opportunity and the business may be scalable to, to do a 2X or 3X kind of growth curve, then you are going to have, as the leader of that business, you're going to have to make some pivots on your own thinking about how you're doing that. For instance, you might need to create a bona fide leadership team in the company. 
you may need to get one or two other people to offload some of the things you've been doing day to day because you know, on the one hand, there's no point in making that kind of money and being a ghost to your family and friends <laughs> because, yeah. you know, five, 10 years later, if you do your exit and you bring home this giant paycheck, everybody's going to say, who cares? Who are you? <laughs> yeah. And I've, I mean, I've, I, I've, I've seen that happen quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, so the three businesses I have right now, so one is, is going to be very, is very sellable. It's going to be sellable and we plan on selling it. One of them is not really sellable um, because it involves um, it, it, it's it's complicated. It involves your own capital. It's the financing solutions one, but it's it involves your own capital and and a lot of people you have to watch over it yourself. You really can't delegate it. Um, but that's a that's a business that I only need to work in two to three hours a day. And um, so I plan on staying in that business till I'm eighty. You know, at least you know my eighties or whatever. You know, my business partner and I are like, this is just something we can keep us busy for two or three hours a day, and then we can do our other parts of our lives. So, um, yeah, and the other one's uh, real estate, which is eventually going to be sold. So, um, you know, they every business has its strategy. You know, I, um, it, you know, I do think it is a good idea to build a company so you to, so it can be sold, because even if it's not sold. Uh, if you if you build a company with that mentality, you will build a company that um, is built not on you working in it. Because when you when someone buys your company, they don't want you; they want your company. And if your company all is you, <laughs> they're gonna they're not gonna buy it. Right. So it allows right. you to build processes and procedures which are critical to great execution. Yeah, I, I've got a good friend who was a lifelong veterinary doctor and built a beautiful, wonderful, very lucrative practice. But then when he really wanted to seriously think about retiring, he started talking to people about selling the business. And when people started peeling that onion, doing looking at the valuation of it, they realized if he goes away, it goes away. Of course. And so guess what the market value of that business is? Fundamentally Terrible. zero. <laughs> Terrible. And it's like a one X. They're going to pay you for one year because you're going to get some extra clients. That that's what they're paying you for is those customers. Right, you know? right. But but even at that, most of the people that are acquiring those kind of businesses know that those customers are incredibly volatile. When their favorite doc goes away, they go away and they go looking yep. for somebody else. Yep. So I mean, I mean, there you know there are some roll ups in that space that, that that have worked for sure. I mean, Banfield's done very well in that space, but. Um, the point being, and I want to get back to what you said, when, when the owner is too much a part of the business, you really minimize that transactional value at the end. You, you've really got to be careful. And I like your, your caution to people to have the mindset to build the business to be a business that is not dependent on you. I tell my clients, are you at a place in your company, can you disappear for a month and it still operate? Yes. And a lot of times the answer is no. And then I say, well, we got some work to do. 
Yep. You know, we, we've got some things to, to look at and potentially change in your business so that we can set you up. Now, that's not to say you're automatically going to do that all the time, but the point is, is your business sustainable without you being there for an extended period of time? Well, keep in mind that if you get sick too, you know, oh, yeah. like yeah. you're out for a month because, and listen, uh, the, I'm a planner and, you know, I, I recently had something that completely caught me by surprise, not in business, but in my personal life. You know, my wife passed away two years ago unexpectedly. Um, and I, I mean, I'm still struggling. And as you would imagine, and I was married for 26 years and I, you know, I, I would tell you that, um, you know, the. I'm so good at managing risk that um, I really do not uh, deal do good with uncertainty. And the thing that I'm having to work on right now uh, with my grief counselor is getting used to the idea of uncertainty. And um, it's, it's a big shock and a change because I'm so professionally used to managing risk. Now, listen, I'm not talking about managing risk so that you have a 100% chance of something happening. I'm talking about reducing the risk of failure. That's what I'm talking about. So, you know, to me, planning, having a strategic plan, and I'm not talking about business plan. I'm talking about a working business plan that you that you're constantly updating and looking at. You have KPIs on there and stuff like that. Uh, you do those things to reduce the chance of failure. Because if you do more of these little things that, that are, you know, smart, you reduce the risk of failure. You know, hiring the right people, having a, something, to sell, having a job description, having measurements so you know if they're doing a good job or not. You know, all these little things reduce the the chance that your business is not going to do well. And yeah. I think plan I think planning is a big part of that. I agree. And in being able to take an honest and, and valid assessment of those moments, and, and I like what you said earlier about the um, the idea of not being so engrossed in the idea of your business that you lose your objectivity. And, and you lose that ability to uh, maybe you say, you know, the product line or the service line you launched with is no longer viable in the market. And it's time to just shut that down and turn your attention to the other things that have emerged for you. Some entrepreneur founders have trouble doing that. It's like, yeah. you know, no, that was my first child and I'm not going to give them up and I'm not, you know. I did have a business like that where I did have a business coach and she and I agreed that we were going to, the business was losing money um, and we were going to give it up to a certain amount of money before we said, we're going to pull the plug, right? It was a, a or, or at least make a decision, right? And uh, by the way, when I, when I got to that point, we decided to go a little bit more, not much. And the whole industry turned. 
And, and that business was one of the companies that was on the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. We went from 1 million to 3 million to 5 million to 7 million to 11 million. And uh, by the way, it went back down. But uh, but that's not when we, we it, it, I actually, that was one of the businesses where I got in at the top of the industry and it went down. And, and then I rode the wave back up. And then yeah. I, I yeah, so it's just, uh, yeah, it's about, you know, making, you know, you, 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 the, this is the thing, the likelihood that you're going to, listen, if I hadn't done so well in the second business with how much money I had made, I might have been able to go, I might have had to gone back into corporate America again. And then what was interesting is my sister said to me, I said, I can't believe I have to go back out to corporate America again. I really don't want to do that. And she said, Stephen, there's no reason you can't go back out and own your own business again after you work for corporate America again. And boy, that took the pressure off me when yeah. she said that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Good word. Well, Stephen, we're about up on our time. I really appreciate you sitting in and, um, and thank you, by the way, for sharing that personal tragedy and my condolences to you for that. Thank you. Uh, uh, that is one of those life moments that's just uh, really hard, really hard. So uh, thoughts and prayers with you and your continued journey on the personal front. But thanks again for sitting in. Tell everybody the best way to get a hold of you if they want to know more about the business you are running today. Well, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, um, go to financingsolutionsnow.com. Again, it's financingsolutionsnow.com. Um, and if you if you want to um, email me because you have a question or something you need, uh, you can just um, um, go to my email address, which is uh, my last name. It's Halasnik, my first initial S at gmail.com. So it's H-A-L-A-S-N-I-K-S at gmail.com. Um, that's my personal, but I, of course, I have a business one too, but that, that's just the easiest one. Awesome. Well, as always, folks, we're going to have those links in the show notes here, and you can uh, drop down and, and uh, take advantage of clicking on that and connecting with Stephen if you want to know more. This is the part where I like to remind everybody we do have a video version of this show over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there and check out uh, the archives of other topics and guests that I've had. And if you uh, need to get a hold of me, my info is pretty much all over social media, mainly as Doug Thorpe. My website is DougThorpe.com, and that's T-H-O-R-P-E.com. You can get a hold of me. There's a lot of opportunity, uh, button clicks for call to action. love doing free discovery calls with people just to talk about your business and your ideas and see if there's any help uh, I or my team can give you. With that, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, tell you to go out there and make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.